goes a little something like this. The Black Student Union presents Remember the Time, a Black History Month celebration. All throughout the month of February, BSU is hosting a series of exciting events where you could go out and learn more about Black history. Uh, I believe by the time this podcast goes live, you can still catch their February 17th event where they're going out to see the Black Panther movie, which seems super amazing. Uh, to follow on February 21st, they have a panel and uh, documentary viewing, I believe. And uh, to wrap things up on February 23rd, they also have an event called The Porch. Uh, I'm sure you guys could go out and enjoy these events and learn a lot about Black history. If you are interested, go ahead and follow them over on their social media accounts. You can find them on Facebook at BSU of La Sierra, also on Instagram at BSU underscore La Sierra. On this episode, we have the honor and privilege of speaking with Dr. Maury Jackson. He's not only a gifted professor, but he's also a very talented and charismatic pastor, speaker, and mentor to many. Uh, we go through a series of questions where Dr. Jackson responds with very insightful answers that are packed full with value. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, here is my chat with Dr. Jackson. So, um, you you actually graduated from La Sierra. I did. Mm. I did my undergrad. Uh, I started at the community college in, in Lancaster, the Antelope mm. Valley College. I went from there to Oakwood College. It's now mm. a university. It was a college back when I went. Oh, wow. And then I transferred here. And uh, that was... That was a good experience for yeah. me, actually. So what were kind of like your first impressions of La Sierra? When I first came yeah. as a student? Yeah. Because I would come before uh, as a young kid, and mm. uh, but as a student, I my first impression was it, was it had more energy than I expected. Wow. Uh, at the time, it was probably the most progressive in Adventist institution mm. I had been to, mm. and uh, and I think in terms of theology, it still is. So is that that energy something that drawn you, uh, drew you to attending? It it, it wasn't why I, I mm. came. Mm. Actually, I came because my family was at the time they were my brothers and sisters were uh, recording an a musical album that I, wow. I, I was a part of. Mm. And the studio was out here, so I just mm. transferred back for that reason. Wow. And then I said, well, I need to finish college, so I enrolled. And then once I enrolled, it was it was the best experience for me, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm grateful I, I, I went this route. So, so what... What um, what role did you play in that in the in your family's uh, musical group? Yeah, I played the Millie Vanilli. Do you know who they are? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I, I was uh-huh. so I was the I was the voice. I, I'm I'm not a singer, mm. but I'm not embarrassed to sing, mm. and that was the problem for my brother's group because he needed to turn my mic off. 
and he said, sing all you want. But in the studio, he could work with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Pull it down here, and then, of course, they did all of that. But it was my 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 oldest brother, he he was the musician. Uh, that's all he's done. He's a, wow. he's, he's a recording artist, and he is a, he's an engineer now, and he, uh, he has his own studio. Mm-hmm. He's still uh, creating artists. But my... Two two of my sisters were keyboardists, and and we had a group. We did two two CDs back mm, in the wow. in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So you're the associate professor for practical theology. Yes. Um, for those of us that just um, don't know too much about that, can you maybe so break it down? Y- yes, indeed. Practical theology. The, dis- the discipline of religious studies, maybe this will be a, a helpful way, uh, has different areas or sub-disciplines that they work with. Mm-hmm. So it could be scriptural studies. If you're a Christian, it's going to be the Judeo-Christian scriptures. So you'll have professors in uh, Hebrew Bible or the old terms would be Old Testament. Uh, Christian scriptures or the old terms would be New Testament. Mm-hmm. You're going to have... Uh, professors in other areas. Uh, so in, in the HMS Richards Divinity School, we have a Department of Biblical Studies that will be our New and Old Testament professors and intertestamental professors. We have uh, a Department of General Religious Studies, and this deals with religious phenomenology. Uh, there's also our Department of Theological, Historical, and ethical studies, and oftentimes these are cognate disciplines in religion. And then the Department of Pastoral Studies, it focuses in the areas of the arts of ministry. So Hmm. preaching, which we classically call homiletics. Uh, There's also liturgics, or this is Christian worship. We Hmm. have studies and professors who help with this. Poimenics is classical pastoral studies, mm. and catechetics is the religious education studies. So these are kind of the areas in our department. Practical theologians are at the intersection where social science questions and answers are interfaced with theological questions and answers. And so they try to uh, understand what moves groups not only with uh, the forces of economics and politics and ethics, but also with religious ideas, what motivates them. Uh, and we study those kinds of questions. And then we also have the apply it in the arts of ministry. You know, how, how do religious communities have leaders that are good public speakers that can reflect on their sacred story and motivate their communities, how do they organize gatherings of worship that are also relevant for today? So these are these are the questions we wrestle with, and the practical theologian is, is really trying to ask the question, uh, what does theology look like when the rubber meets the road? Yeah. So you're, you're fascinated by philosophy, which I see could play a big role in um, what you, what practical theology could... Um, Intel, uh, is there any other other topics of of research or uh, anything else that kind of interests you 
in the same way as philosophy? Yeah, so for me, I'm interested in, in ethics. Mm. In fact, uh, my, my doctoral work was in an interdisciplinary study of theology, ethics, and culture. And so these areas of culture and ethics were vitally important for me because uh, that's, again, where my theological questions uh, entered. In. Mm. And, and, and with respect to culture, I had brothers around me, b uh, my br brother-in-law, uh, my cousins. They were heavy into African-American studies, black studies, uh, Afro-American studies. They, the departments had all different names depending mm -hmm. on what institution they were at. And so I was always being in conversation. I was always in conversation with, with friends that made me also kind of uh, immerse myself into readings of Afrocentric mm. scholars. Can you speak of maybe one of your friends that kind of influenced you, um, or heavily influenced you, or maybe you have a story about? Uh, well, my, my, there's two of them. My, my brother-in-law, uh, Jetty Townsend, mm. he was studying, he did a, a degree in law and society and black studies at UCSB, and then he went on to law school after that. And my cousin, J Junior Leith, uh, John, John Junior Leith, they both kind of, it was an interesting thing. They both kept throwing the same names at me. And we'd have discussions, and I'd be talking with Jetty at one time, and he'd say, but you haven't read Chancellor Williams, Sheikh Ante Diab, Ivan Van Sertima. And then I'd be in a conversation with uh, John Jr., and he, but you haven't read uh, Chancellor Williams, uh, Sheikh Ante Diab, Ivan Sertima. Okay, I, finally, I'm like, I, I need to read these guys to let these guys know why their ideas are bad. And uh, that, that got me immersed in, in a better appreciation for the, the scholarship. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So um, moving on to maybe more about black history, um, let's see. Uh, were there any civil rights activists you thought um, didn't get enough credit? Uh, civil rights act. Oh, I think uh, W. E. B. Du Bois. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think he he did not, and and he he gets a lot of credit among scholars and sociologists. Mm. But in terms of uh, the popular discourse, not so. Mm. You know, so what what is is not well known popularly. You you watch these commercials or these news popular uh, corporate news media. They all lift up different figures in Black history uh, indiscriminately, as if there was some unified vision. In fact, W. E. B. Du Bois could not. He he was deeply. Uh, he, de he challenged deeply, say, uh, Booker T. Washington, right? Uh, Booker Washington, in fact, he said, was the first black leader chosen by white people. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a, a, a real radical uh, yeah. hit, you know. But Du Bois died on the day that Martin Luther King Jr. was giving his uh, uh, March on Washington speech. He died in Ghana. He, re he left America, gave up his citizenship. He was deeply disappointed, but he was one of the founding members and the, probably the strongest voice in the NAACP that, uh, that helped an organization form that still runs to this day. Mm. Yeah. He, he published some incredible work. He published the very first book in sociology by an American sociology on an Amer 
can, by an American sociologist on an American group mm. ever. Mm. And uh, this was on the Negro Church. And it was, it was W.E.B. Du Bois who, who founded that. He, of course, his famous book, The Souls of Black Folk, is a classic that every American should read. Um, and then uh, his, his study in the world in Africa. These are great books that show a, a scholar activist mm. in work. So why, why do you think is um, the reason that we aren't too familiar with, with these works? Um, I think it's the reason Dr. Carter G. Woodson helped us to found the Black History Week and then Black History Month, namely... When you are, well, his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, right? So he says that the, 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 the Negro is taught to glory in all of the people who were his oppressors, George Washington, you know, all of the, but he's never taught to look beyond them or to look within his own cultural uh, strength to find his, his sense of how to engage and resist oppressive forces. So you, you, you're not going to have the more radical elements that are non-accommodationist voices raised up and lifted up. You're going to have those that are accommodationist. And even the radical king is not the one we know. The king we know is not, is the, the I have a dream king, the king, and this is what scholars know today and, and good preachers know today the king of, of uh, bringing the races together. But we don't celebrate the king who was against the war in Vietnam. Mm. We don't celebrate the king who was organizing with garbage collectors when he got killed. Right? He, this is the king that's dealing with classism and militarism. He's silenced. The king that deals with racism, well, he's lifted up. And yet... Uh, at his last book, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, is a very strident, prophetic, uh, challenging. So I, I think it's just, it's designed to miseducate uh, because corporate interests uh, like status quo. So there's a lot of details about these individuals that we we actually don't, we, we don't actually get to... Um, no, because they actually are hidden by like some of the the bigger things, such as that I have I have a dream speech that everyone is just familiar with. Um, is there any any details about in in, in any individual under um, under the the activists or the the civil rights movement that maybe you sh you feel like we should get educated well in. i i push for this so when i taught uh, philosophy at the Antelope valley college i'd have classes of about 60 students you know they i'd have these override classes they needed a lot of students back then and i would ask them you know how many of you uh, during this time of the year in the winter session or the intercession or the, the spring semester, I would ask, you know, how many of you are familiar with Martin Luther King Jr.? Raise your hand. Every, everyone's hand goes up. Right, right. Then I would ask, how many of you have read one of his books? Every hand goes down. 
See, we, we, we're in kind of a, a culture that's deliterate in terms of books. They may be literate in terms of imagery, images, etc. And and that's quick learning. It's exciting. It's titillating. But to sit with a book forces you to slow down and to process differently. And to read King's books change you tremendously. To read the books of Du Bois, you're going to be changed. Uh, to read the books of black theologians, the radical black theologians, James Cone, who's in his, I think he's about 80 now, teaching at Union Theological Seminary. But in 1969, he writes Black Theology and Black Power. And then to just tr trace his work all the way down to his last book in 2011, uh, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. You get this incredible sense of history, history that you find even before we had this the, the kind of writing that we have had since the academies, which were uh, really racist bastions mm. for the longest, have now uh, opened up and had scholars come through, scholars of religion, scholars of history, black and white, who are engaged in this conversation and struggle, and, and Asian, you know. How did, the, how did they uh, look at uh, the questions of the past, the history of those voices that have been kind of marginalized, suppressed? How did the slave preachers from Denmark Vesey and Gabriel Prosser and Nat Turner, how did they help to motivate and, and push and keep alive a legacy that would have been lost, mm. you see? Mm. So I, I, I do, it's, it's less about, I think, the, the uh, individual coincidences in people's lives that matter and more about the works that have been written and left that should be used to form a new canon of what we see as the standard of reading and engaging and thinking. Mm. And people like Cornel West and particularly Cornel West and the work that he has done in prophesied deliverance. You know, how do we how do we have these conversations in the class I'm teaching this quarter, Ethnic Issues in the Church? They're reading these books by Cornell West, by Howard Thurman, uh, by Gustavo Gutierrez, where we're dealing with Latin American liberation theologians. These are the ways we think about theology and practice. What does it look like on the ground? How does it transform the world that we have? Uh, we, have a book that we're reading on an Asian theology of liberation or a womanist theology, uh, a, a post-colonial or decolonizing theology. How has even theology itself been an aid in the colonial effort to suppress and oppress instead of a tool to liberate, which it, it can be both. Yeah. So it's about the books. I say read the material that people have sat and reflected on so do you feel our country is in a better place with racism as a whole? I think in a different place. Mm. Better or worse, I don't know that we can make those judgments this close in or, or this far out, but I think uh, do we have physical chattel slavery that's legalized? No. Thank God, right? Uh, do we have uh, legalized uh, apartheid laws, and no, thank God. So we're, we're always making some progresses, uh, but do we have some uh, fearful 
issues that are broader, namely wealth hemorrhaging to the top and, uh, and uh, kind of a, a takeover of the instruments of information, the media, et cetera, that can distort and can hide a, a, an important memory to help us break through some of the other challenges. See, these are different, mm -hmm. and they are uh, in many ways more frightening uh, because we have mass media, we have, uh, uh, you know. So I, 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 I'll say the, the hopeful signs for me I see are in the fact that younger people are using uh, the instruments of, of media, even like this, to develop pockets of resistance or to, or to develop a new vision of what globalization will look like, not a corporate-run globalized right. world, but uh, cooperatives. And so these are, are, are hopeful. It's hopeful because we also find in, I think, way more than when I, even myself, I was born in 69, but way more we find images of, of, of human love, mm. of romantic love, that is uh, interracial, if you want to mm -hmm. say those words. Because here again, the challenge with race is that it is an ordinary concept. But when we deal with the real question of do races exist, we find out it's a socially constructed category that was often used by the elites to enforce their class structures. So now you're seeing with this kind of breaking of these these. Uh, racial boundaries, they're more porous, that you build new alliances among people groups. And that's a good thing. Now, let me ask you this. What recent event, good or bad, um, do you feel affected racism in our country? Are even more specific in your life? Uh, so, you know, that's one thing that really hasn't changed. So in mm -hmm. my life, what sparked it was the Rodney King uh Uprising. I'll never forget uh, the the watching CNN news uh, with the Gulf War, and then having them break in and see those officers beat Rodney King. And it was a it was a revelation to me that many Christians uh, defended the jury. You see, uh, who acquitted those officers? That was a shock to me. Um, now what we have, I think, is this where it hasn't much changed, when you start to see these police uh, killings of black motorists, etc. In fact, I, I, one day I was sent a whole bunch of uh, YouTube clips of bad uh, misdeeds, or misdeeds, I'd say misdeeds of, of officers. They're, they're all, over the, all, all over YouTube, and I remember thinking, there's a a program called Cops, why don't they have a program called Bad Cops? You know, why is there no interest uh, in this corporate media yeah, yeah. to highlight that, mm -hmm. you see? So I think that is, that is, that's one of the problems. It's one of the, it's, it's been the problem area, it's still the problem area. And, uh, yeah. So uh, do you see a future for racism? I see a, a future for it to be gone. I'm a Christian. Mm. I, I, look, I, I hope for a better day. I believe we are journeying toward it. And I believe that the eternal principles of the kingdom of God, freedom is one of them, 
uh, has been infused in the lives of many, many Christians. Now, there are those that carry the name of Christ. Uh, uh, Cornel West would call them Constantinian Christians. They are Christians trying to enforce the status quo in the name of Christ. But then there are those, those prophetic Christians who are always resisting that. And, uh, and I, I have a hope for a, a, a day. I believe it's going to be a day where, uh, uh, as John in his apocalypse speaks about every nation, kindred, tongue, and people will gather with the Lamb at his throne and, and, uh, and that the kings of the earth will bring their glory into this, this cosmopolitan, uh, this cosmic cosmopolitan center. So I, I'm hopeful about it. Mm. And uh, I'm not pessimistic. I'm not... I'm not in despair. Um, the days that uh, my ancestors saw, my great-grandfather, my, my, my father's grandfather was emancipated by Abe Lincoln mm. at 13. Mm. My grandmother was the last daughter of his 20 children. And to think that the life he had in chattel slavery, the life I have, radically different, uh, it means I have a greater responsibility to keep the story alive, but I have hope that, that in the end, uh, as they say, a, a lie gets around the, the earth, while halfway around the earth while truth is putting its shoes on. But I think ultimately in the end, his truth still marches on and it will win. <laughs> That's powerful. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's see... Uh, just to maybe wrap things up, uh, I'll ask you one question. If you could have a giant billboard with one message on it about, um, we'll, we'll go with maybe black history. What would it say and why? It would be a giant billboard mm -hmm. with the books the, the book covers of The Wretched of the Earth, Franz Fanon, The Souls of Black Folk, W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, Martin King. You, you see what I'm saying? Prophesy yeah. Deliverance, yeah. Cornell West, uh, God of the Oppressed, James Cone. It would be a billboard with all of these books, their front covers on it. And it would say something like, uh, read, black history is not only for blacks. Mm. Wow. <laughs> well, all right, Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for coming by. Thank uh, you. God be I with you. Really this is great, it. man. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I'm honored. Thank you guys so much for checking out this very first episode of the podcast. It would mean the world to me and the team if you went over to Instagram and followed our page at Criterion Now. Here we can interact with you guys and ask you questions on who and what type of content you would like to listen to and see here on the podcast show. So thank you for your time and I hope everyone has a very wonderful day. I'll see you on the next episode.